Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This weekend with your host, Gordon Deal. Slimming down for the holidays. I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending part of your weekend here. Here's what's coming up this hour. If you've been using weight loss drugs and have noticeably dropped pounds, how is this addressed during your family get-togethers? Also for the holidays, questions to ask if you're considering giving a pet as a gift. Plus the Midwest mom who's gone viral for her aggressive cooking videos. And when the kids use PowerPoint to present their Christmas list. I, I think one positive is it does help these children sort of um, learn how to make presentations yeah. and argue their case. And they will include reasons why they need a new pair of AirPods. You know, the battery on their old one is dead or they've outgrown their sneakers. They really need a new pair of sneakers. Suzanne Kapner at the Wall Street Journal on formal presentations for holiday wish lists. Well, people taking weight loss and diabetes drugs feel a sense of freedom, right? As well as, though, a fear of judgment from family as they prepare for holiday gatherings. More from Alex Janin, health reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Alex, set this up. We have this blockbuster class of weight loss and diabetes drugs, including Ozempic, Wegovi, Manjaro, now is newly approved Zepbound. And I spoke to folks who are taking these medications about sort of how they're approaching these holiday dinners. And we know that food is a big topic of conversation and it's also sort of the main activity around the holidays, right? People are obsessed with eating and eating in excess. And for some of these people on these medications, um, most of them really, that kind of eating is just no longer possible. And so for some people, and there were mixed feelings, I think, about, um, you know, how folks are approaching approaching these holiday dinners who are on these drugs, but sort of the overarching, you know, consistent um, approach that I heard was people on these medications just don't want to be the focus of the yeah. conversation at dinner. You know, everybody's got that one family member that's sort of a food pusher or a drink pusher, have seconds, have thirds. And, um, you know, for people who are on these medications, as I mentioned, eating in excess, it's it's not going to be a comfortable experience. And moreover, there's sort of a stigma associated with with weight loss in general and and weight management. Mm -hmm. Um, But also specific to these medications, there's a stigma. Some family members, you know, may um, may look at people who have visibly lost weight who yeah. aren't eating as much and make comments and some patients are, are are nervous about how to approach that yeah so what do you say i mean you show up looking significantly thinner and perhaps mm-hmm. i think as one woman in your story said i'm not drinking wine this time like that stuff's noticeable what do you say you know i think there are several approaches that i heard from both patients and psychiatrists and doctors who counsel folks on this. Um, some people say, if you're not comfortable disclosing your your personal health information, that's the bottom line. You don't have to disclose it. And there are a few ways around it. Um, one psychiatrist I talked to said, just lie. Say, you know, I'm taking antibiotics <laughs> or, you know, whatever you need to say. A, a patient I spoke to said, I had a baby this summer, you know, and so it would be normal for me to be losing baby weight now anyway. I think I'm just going to use that as a guise if anybody asks me about it. Um, other people say, you know, I don't mind people knowing I'm on these medications. I'm happy to tell them if, if somebody makes a comment, as long as it's not, um, you know, sort of a judgmental uh, approach to the question, how, you know, oh, somebody's looking thin and, you know, are you are, are you taking that Ozempic? Wow. If, I think people feel in general that if the intention is good, they can be more open about it. Some people just don't want to disclose it at all. Makes sense. We're speaking with Alex Jannon. 
health reporter at the Wall Street Journal. We're talking about weight loss drugs as a topic during holiday dinners. Um, how popular have these drugs become for mm. this purpose, so I should say, for weight loss purposes? Well, yeah, so th that is a little bit harder to tease out, right? Because some of these drugs are indicated only for type 2 diabetes. And yet we know, and we have the data to support, that a lot of people are taking them off-label for weight loss. Um, other people are actually getting them approved for um, obesity-associated you know, associated disorders that are not type 2 diabetes. So it's hard to tease out, but we do know that more than 9 million Americans filled prescriptions for this class of drugs in the last quarter of, of 2022, and that represented a 300% increase between the first quarter of 2020. So it's just been a huge, huge boom in popularity. And now we know, based, based on that 9 million figure, I mean, that's fully 3% of the American population that, yeah. that you know, that's taking taking these drugs. And some of them we, we know certainly are for weight loss, specifically because some of them are indicated for that purpose. Boy. Uh, you, you spoke to this 41-year-old nurse, I think she is, in, uh, in Houston, this Lee Rodeball. Explain her story. So she's lost roughly 14 pounds in one month uh, that she's been on Manjaro. And she says she doesn't generally feel any shame about, about taking the drug, um, but she says she doesn't plan to volunteer that information at her holiday dinner this year with one family member in particular who says, you know, she just doesn't believe she would agree with it. And mm. she's sort of opinionated. And I think a lot of people that I spoke to for this story had that one family member or, or a few, you know, that somebody you know who's just going to voice their opinion and and maybe people don't want people you know their family members voicing their opinions about about their body this year and they're just going to avoid the topic altogether thanks alex alex jannon health reporter at the wall street journal coming up next office holiday party no-nos dell's cyber monday event is their biggest sale of the year Shop limited-time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com deals. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Tis the season for office holiday parties, do's and don'ts from networking expert Ivan Meisner, author of a new book called The Third Paradigm. Ivan, do you support them first off? Yeah, I think holiday parties are gr a great way to get together with uh, people in your office on a social uh, basis. Just be careful when you do. Do you like them uh, when they're out at a location where there's booze available or you prefer uh, you know, in office on a Wednesday afternoon at uh, two o'clock after lunch or something? Well, look, either one, it depends on the size of the organization. Um, in my company, I always did them at my office, uh, but sometimes they're done at another location. Um, and whenever there's booze involved, you got to be careful. I mean, you know, I have just seen people get stupid drunk at holiday parties, particularly in the evening. And that never ends well. You know, I'd limit yourself to two drinks. If you're going to be there for three or four hours, maybe three drinks. Um, but you got to limit yourself. Your boss is going to be there, your your peers, so be careful. All right, so uh, booze, I guess, really is the elephant in the room here, right? I mean, so you mentioned, uh, what, maybe a drink an hour, you know, to keep some sort of pace. Um, because even if something bad happens, it can be held against you, even if you're out at some restaurant, right? It's still a company event. Yeah, especially if you're on the clock. 
Uh, if you're on the clock and it's a required event uh, and, and and people are drinking, the company is totally liable. It varies from state to state uh, as to whether, you know, if you're not on the clock, if it's a volunteer um, event or not. That varies from state to state. Yeah. What was your point about don't go negative? Well, you know, uh, it's really easy to go to a company party and start talking about, um, you know, your boss and you're not happy with your boss or other peers and you're not happy with them or you're not happy with the job. You're not, you know, it's very easy to go negative, especially, especially after a couple of drinks. Um, and you don't want to do that. That's not the place to do it. Uh, you know, if you want to have a conversation individually, don't do it at a party uh, about what's going on at the company um, negatively. And on the other hand, don't suck up, um, you know, to the executives. Executives appreciate knowing that their work makes a difference, but don't puppy dog lick them to death, right? <laughs> you know, you know, oh, hey, boss, it's so great to see you. You know, yeah, that, that's never a good idea. Uh, it, but it's okay to share a specific story about something, you know, a big win that year that maybe they were involved in that helped the company or helped their department. There's nothing wrong with that. Just just don't be a suck-up. Mm. We're speaking with Ivan Meisner, networking expert, also author of a new book called The Third Paradigm, and we're talking about office holiday party etiquette. Um, how could you use the office holiday party to your advantage? Well, you use it, I think you can use it to your advantage by, by building relationships, meaningful relationships with people, and the best way to do that is to have conversations with them. And um, it doesn't have to be on a topic that you know real well. Um I have a, a really good friend, and I wrote about her in one of my books, Susan Rowan, and uh, she calls herself the savvy networker, and even though she literally has zero interest in sports, she reads the sports section in her newspaper from cover to cover every day. And I asked her, I'm like, why in the world would you do that? And she said, well, because um, when you're having conversations with people, she said, she told me men, even more than women, they, they will sit there and talk sports and then you're kind of left out. And so she's able to converse on a, a topic that she's not particularly interested in, but uh, is knowledgeable on. Okay. So talking about topics that you're not knowledgeable in, but they are, is a way actually of building a relationship because it gives them an opportunity to talk about something they're interested in. What if you're just terrible at small talk? Yeah, well, you, you know, it's about asking questions then. Uh, you know, tell, tell me, what, you know, what project are you working on that really excites you? What, uh, what do you like about it? Where do you see it going? Um, you know, it's like the roots of a tree. You follow those roots and you go deeper in the conversation asking more questions. People love talking about what they do. And, you know, you don't have to, you know, say, how's the weather? How's the kids? Yeah, I mean, you could do that, especially if you know the kids. But um, talking about projects that they're working on or things that they're interested in, you know, if people, if people know that I like fine art, so they'll ask me, you know, what's my latest piece of fine art I bought? Or uh, have I been to any wineries because I love good wine? Mm -hmm. And so they'll ask questions about topics that they know I have interest in. They may or may not really give a rat's patootie about either of those yeah, topics, yeah, yeah. but they know that they're interesting to me and I'm interested in them. And I, I, I'd like to think that I have a way of making it interesting to most people. Thanks, Ivan. Ivan Meisner, networking expert, also author of a book called The Third Paradigm, A Radical Shift to Greater Success. Reports say animal shelters are overrun with stray or owner-surrendered pets this year, leading to spiking post-pandemic euthanasia rates across the country. 
We get more from this weekend's Jennifer Koshenka. Thinking about adopting a pet or buying one this holiday season? There are many, many things to consider. Joining us now for a deep dive on being a pet parent is Jackie Ducci, founder of the Human Animal Alliance, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing people and animals together. Jackie, what is the status of many shelters around the country right now? Well, it's really awful, actually. The shelters are overcrowded um, all across the nation. Euthanasia rates are skyrocketing as well. So it's really at levels that we haven't seen in a very long time. And it's really terrible. Why is that? Several reasons. I mean, I think the most obvious of which is the country is in economic recession. Inflation is soaring. People are just struggling financially. Um, And animals are not cheap. (laughs) You know, there were studies done recently showing that the average um, dog, the cost of an average dog per year is $4,500 for their needs. And then for a cat, it's $1,150 a year. So I think a lot of people take on animals and they don't really understand what they're committing to financially. Um, So that's a big thing. Also, emergency medical bills that can just come up that are things that we cannot predict. It happens to all of us that have animals at some time or another. So, you know, a lot of these people, it's really sad, but they love their animals. They're just in a position where they cannot cover those expenses right now. So if you're considering getting a cat or a dog, should you sit down and kind of list the pros and cons? I mean, I think that's part of it. I also think really giving thought to what the best fit is for your home You know, um, if you are somebody that's just not home during the day, you work out of an office and you want a dog, you probably want a pretty low-energy dog. Um, If you're a marathon runner, you probably want a high-energy dog. (laughs) Like, these things matter. Or maybe a cat is better than a dog in certain circumstances. So I think, you know, talking to the other people in your household and just getting real about what's going to work for your situation is going to help ensure the long-term fit of that, that match and that commitment. We're speaking with Jackie Ducci, founder of the Human Animal Alliance. If you're thinking about gifting a pet this holiday season, what are the concerns about that? I think it's a terrible idea in general. I mean, you know, I I just always encourage people to be part of the solution, not the problem. Like the problem is that there are just too many animals being surrendered. So if that thought isn't being put in on the front end, and somebody's just receiving a pet that they didn't even choose, I just think they're way less likely to be committed. And this is why a lot of animals wind up, you know, back in the rescue system. So I would never recommend that unless it's something that, you know, has been discussed and, you know, you want to do it for a friend or something like that. Um, But there's been conversation beforehand um, and a real reason behind why you're doing it. Jackie, are there resources for people who need help with paying vet bills or help with pet food? There are. I mean, there are what we call safety net charities that exist around the country. Um, They tend to do a really good job kind of vetting people and giving support where it's truly needed to help animals stay in homes as opposed to being surrendered. So um, that is something that people can look into. There are food banks and things like that as well. Um, so there are resources. Uh, my organization has given a lot of money over the last two years to groups like that um, to help alleviate the burden on people. Um, so there's that for sure. There also seems to be some degree of impatience with uh, dogs that need to be trained or cats that have some kind of, some kind of behavioral problem. A lot of mm-hmm. animals end up back in the shelter because people just haven't given them time to get adjusted. 
That's true. Well, and the other thing that's interesting is, you know, pets were being adopted in droves in 2020 because that was during the pandemic. So everybody was home. But now that they're not home so much, you're seeing, you know, things like separation anxiety um, in the animals, behavior problems, things like that, that people weren't dealing with initially. So that is another reason animals are getting surrendered. So that's a big thing is, you know, if you're taking on an animal, you have to be willing to commit the time a lot of times with training, it's not even the expense, it's the time, because the trainer can tell you what to do, but then you have to follow up at home and teach the animal and be consistent, and some people just aren't you know, willing or able to do that. That's this weekend's Jennifer Koshenka with Jackie Ducci, founder of the Human Animal Alliance. Coming up next, negotiating your work schedule. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle Made bed sheets. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle Made is self cleaning, self cooling, luxurious, eco friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Glad you could spend part of your weekend with us. I'm Gordon Deal. Coming up this half hour, how to negotiate your work schedule. Also, a less expensive Christmas tree and kids who make their Christmas list on a PowerPoint. We'll have that story in about 15 minutes. Well, you want the job you've applied for, but you don't love the policy of having to be in the office for a minimum number of days each week. How do you negotiate that? Here's career expert Julie Bauke, known as Julie on the job. Julie, help us out. Here's the situation. You see a job posted, and it says open to hybrid or remote work, or it might say full-time in the office. So what we're seeing now is jobs are actually saying, here's, here's what the work situation is. But you have to know that there is generally some flexibility around that generally so in this case of this client i have right now she's a very senior level person and she saw she saw a job it said or she talked to somebody at the company and they said three days in the office required and she looked at it and said well it's a two-hour commute for me each way every day and i do two but i wouldn't do three when do i bring it up which is exactly the situation people find themselves yeah. in. So here we so, are. Yeah, okay. Right. So here was my advice. The first thing you want to do, research the company as much as you can. Find people who work there. She did know somebody who worked there, but he worked in a different department. And I said, talk to him, find out what you can, and have him find out for you if possible. Is If there is flexibility company-wide, in other words, do they just say that, but then each department is expected to... Um, make their best make their best judgments based on what they need to get the work done, or is it a you know hammer down everyone in three days a week? We're going to be swipe. We're going to be checking the swipes at yeah, the door. Yeah. 
is anything from that to we really are giving people flexibility. I said, so you've got to figure out culturally, where are they on this? We're speaking with Julie Bauke, career strategist known as Julie on the job. And we're talking about negotiating your work schedule. So her commute of two hours, for example, is that my issue as a manager or no, as a hiring manager? No, it's not. Um, really, it's it's your, you need to figure out. So both sides, let's just call them sides of the table. Both sides of the table need to get really clear on what the true requirements are of the job and how you may, how you can come to an agreement between the two sides for how that job's going to get done. And when we get so caught up in two days versus three, we're losing sight of the big picture, which is we have work that needs to be done. Let's come to a way we can do that. Now, some organizations have zero flexibility and some managers have zero flexibility. So if you're in that, if you're a manager and you'd love to give somebody flexibility, but you're getting the iron hammer from the top, mm then you need to be super clear up front before you even start any sort of conversation with someone about, look, before we spend any more time talking about this role, I just want to make sure that you read the job description and that you're clear that three days a week is a hard and fast requirement. If that doesn't work for you, I totally understand, but let's not waste each other's time. Thanks, Julie. Career expert Julie Bauke, known as Julie on the job. If you're shopping for a Christmas tree, a real live tree, that is, you should be prepared to pay more to spruce up your home this year. How to save a few bucks from Charles Passy, reporter at MarketWatch. Charles, give us the tree price landscape. You know, Gordon, it's not looking pretty. Um, I mean, people were sort of saying, oh, it's not so bad. It's only up 10% this year. But that's a pretty big hike. I mean, you know, that's above the rate of inflation. So, yeah, last year was um, $80 was the median price, according to the National Christmas Tree Association. While we don't have an exact hard figure on what the median price will be for 2023, what we're hearing from a variety of tree associations, um, yes, people who essentially grow trees and the associations that represent them, is that prices at the retail level are about 10% up. So that $80 tree, you figure will be 88. And of course, if you live in certain areas, I mean, I don't need to tell you that New York City is a pricey town. Yeah. You know, you may have trouble finding a tree for $88, at least a nice tree for $88 in New York City. All right, you made an interesting point about the sourcing your sourcing your tree. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, your best bet to buy a tree, if you wanna get a tree on the cheap, your best bet is probably a big box home improvement store. Um, Home Depot and Lowe's sell a lot of trees. The pricing, they're buying in bulk, so they're, they're, they're able to, to offer it at a much better rate. So, you, you know, they are a good source. You know, you you're, you're almost really can't go wrong if pricing is the main issue. Doesn't mean you shouldn't shop around. Um, it also doesn't mean that you're going to get the best trees at, uh, at a big box uh, store. You might do better with a smaller independent store. Um, they might have a, a selection of higher quality trees, for example. Uh, you might also just want to support the, the local charity that does a tree as a kind of a fundraiser. I mm -hmm. mean, so then there's kind of a different element entering into it. But if price is key, you're generally you're best off going to a big box store. We're speaking with Charles Passy, reporter at Market Watch. His story is called $88 for a Christmas tree, five ways to save on your holiday tree. You said, too, uh, you got to know your firs and your pines. Exactly. So, you know, 
there are trees that are more expensive than others. I mean, you know, not all trees are, are created equal. So firs and spruces are going to be generally more expensive. May not be the case of a Douglas fir because, as I learned from doing this, is that a Douglas fir is not actually technically a fir tree. I won't get into all the particulars, <laughs> okay. but in any case, uh, pine trees are going to be your going to be your cheaper tree or whatever. So, I mean, are they as fragrant? Are they as beautiful? Uh, maybe not. Maybe that's not as important to you. But in any case, uh, you know, you have to think about the uh, the tree that's that if, you're, if cost is the issue, pines and a couple of other examples are probably going to be your better bet. The other thing is that, you know, you could play the waiting game here, which means waiting until the last minute. I have actually personally done this hmm. when it's it's the day before Christmas. Guess what? There are a lot of, lot of tree merchants that are looking wow. to unload their stock. Nobody buys Christmas trees on December 26th. So they, these, these folks have to unload uh, their merchandise. But there's a risk with that. And the risk is they may be out of trees or they may not have the trees that you want. So just yeah. understand if you wait. And of course, I guess the other risk is, well, you've given up the whole holiday season and you've only had the tree just before Christmas. So it's something true. else to keep in mind. True, true. Finish up about uh, potentially buying that, that old Charlie Brown tree and, and negotiating. Well, here, here we go. Here we go. You know, we all laughed at the, at the idea of, you know, we all had a good laugh when we watched Charlie Brown Christmas and we see him buy that uh, pathetic tree. But, you know, they turned it into something beautiful. If you find a very scraggly tree, bargain at the tree seller. You know, bargain with the tree seller. Say, hey, look, this ain't a beautiful tree. It's possible they may have already discounted it, but but I'm told you have a good chance if you bargain with the tree seller saying this is pretty bad. And guess what? Those rough patches on a tree, they can easily be hidden with garlands, with ornaments, or especially if there's one bad side and you're putting up a, the tree against the wall, it doesn't even matter. Nobody's mm. gonna see the back of the tree. I would add a final tip is <clears throat> you've got to do what you need to do to make the tree last. There's no point in saving money on a tree and then having it die. <clears throat> There's no point in money in saving money on a tree and then having it die with on you in, on December 15th. Basically water that tree, especially when you first bring it home. A tree needs water to live. So you want to keep that tree healthy. You want to protect your investment. Thanks, Charles. Charles Passy, reporter at MarketWatch. Coming up next... High-tech holiday wish lists. Dell's Cyber Monday event is their biggest sale of the year. Shop limited-time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com deals. Hey, glad you could be with us. Holiday gift lists have gone high tech. Tweens and teens are learning how to use presentation software in school, and now some of them are applying those skills in creative ways to pad their stockings or avoid the holiday dread of unwanted gifts. Here's Suzanne Kapner, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Suzanne, what's going on? Well, a lot of kids are learning how to use PowerPoint or Google Slides in school, and now they're taking those skills and applying them to their Christmas wish list. And some of these kids I spoke with, you know, I asked them, why, why go to all this trouble? Why not just do it the old-fashioned way and tell your parents what you want? And 
you know, they had interesting explanations. One one child said, well, you know, some of his family members were starting to just give him money, and that was totally not acceptable. So he wanted to do this <laughs> detailed slide presentation to with, you know, links to products to show exactly what he wanted. Money, no thank you to money. Oh, my goodness. I, so the, the software they're busting out is, is what? It's Google Slides. It's PowerPoint. It's Canva, which makes, makes these... Uh, templates for online presentations i got a kick out of uh the the one woman who said uh all of a sudden like this this presentation shows up in her inbox <laughs> unexpectedly <laughs> right so funny. yeah that was uh you know one mom yeah she was not she thought it was pretty presumptuous in fact for her son to just like email this presentation to her asking for all these things um and it does smack a little bit of privilege, but, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of these kids, you know, they go to great pains to include in their presentation at least one or two slides that, you know, you know, they thank their parents for everything they have, and they are not expecting to get all of these <laughs> gifts, and these are just a suggestion of, you know, things they might want, and so they, they do try to really, you know, tone it down and be thankful. Okay. We're speaking with Suzanne Kapner, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Her story is called, And You Thought PowerPoint Presentations Couldn't Get Any Worse. Um, It struck me, too, that uh, you said there are risks with interactive presentations. What happened? Well, you know, sometimes the parents will push back and they'll be like, you don't need another pair of, uh, you know, leggings or another, you know, eye cream or what have you. So there is, there does seem to be this dialogue that opens up. It's not just as simple as the kids saying, I want, and the parents say, okay. The parents do push back on a lot of these things. And you said, too, it's not just the kids, right? Yeah, older adults are doing it, too. I spoke with a woman in her 20s. She made three different presentations, one for her boyfriend, her sister, and her brother. So, you know, people do, they are spending a lot of time, hours and hours, putting these things together. Wow. Uh, is any of it like, a, I don't know, like a, an, an opening to negotiations in some okay. cases? Yeah, absolutely. And the kids will, you know, you know sometimes, the, I, I think one positive is it does help these children sort of um, learn how to make presentations yeah. and argue their case. And they will include reasons why they need a new pair of AirPods. You know, the battery on their old one is dead or they've outgrown their sneakers. They really need a new pair of sneakers, you know. Or as one child said, you know, these tote bags would be great for me to carry my books around at school. And her dad, you know, said, well, wait a minute, you have a backpack. Isn't that what a backpack is for? So, you know, there is a lot of back and forth. It was a definite dad response. How about the uh, the girl who that. wanted that, that Stanley flip straw tumbler? What, what, what was her case? Right. Well, you know, she said she already has, you know, they have a lot of Stanleys, but the one she has is scratched and dented and it, it doesn't have a closed, you know, uh, closed top. And so it spills. So she made a, a very, you know, elaborate case as to why she needs a new one. Thanks, Suzanne. Suzanne Kapner, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. We'll finish with this. A mom in the Midwest is going viral for her so-called aggressive cooking videos. Just before Thanksgiving, TikToker Jessica Seacrest posted a video in which she instructs her audience on how to make a Tex-Mex tater tot casserole. But it's her so-called aggressive attitude that has resonated with so many. In a massive skillet. You are going to place a pound of ground beef. Mine is in a bag. Brown up your beef. Top it up aggressively. 
Today.com says the mother of two instructs audience clearly, concisely, and with an air of annoyance that you don't know this information already. She says, brown up your beef, chop it up aggressively. She adds what she calls a metric ton of garlic to the mix. The video has more than 15 million views. Seacrest presents her finished casserole by saying, I know what you're thinking. Is it even good? She takes a taste and then adds, of course it's good. I made it. This is delicious. Make this. Reactions were hilarious. On X, one person wrote, I would trust her with my life. Another said, this character makes it to the end of any movie. And a third commented, I love being yelled at by you. Thank you. That'll do it for this hour. Thanks for listening to This Weekend. I'm Gordon Deal.